You're listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Hello, fellow fantasy football fanatics. Welcome to the week seven edition of the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. We are six games through the year, so for those worrying about COVID, no need to worry thus far. Hopefully your teams have made it through unscathed. Today we're going to talk, per usual, about waivers, some guy you can pick up on your waiver wire that could help you now that the bye weeks are hitting. Of course, injuries have been hitting. We're going to talk more about rookie wide receivers and just how good they've been this year, and maybe some guys who you need to be starting them over. Going to, of course talk about our guy A.J. Brown, and then we're going to revisit the rookie running back situation, which seems to change week to week almost and needs to be talked about because new variables are introduced every week, new guys get different workloads. So let's start with waivers. Not a huge week, but waivers are something we need to be diligent on every single week. Again, like we always say on the podcast, it's probably more important to be on the waiver wire than perform on draft day. So a couple injuries such as uh, Raheem Mostert, we don't know the health of Mark Ingram or Miles Sanders. So when it comes to Mostert, he's going to be out for a while. They say he's going to be placed on IR, high ankle sprain from running backs. You know, McCaffrey still isn't back from his, took almost half the season from Saquon Barkley last year. We know McKinnon's going to get work, but Shanahan always uses two backs. And the next guy up is Jermichael Hasty. Mike, what do we know about him? We mentioned him on a previous podcast, but let's talk a little more about him because he is now in line for a substantial, more substantial amount of work than he was last time. I think the knocks on Hasty would be that he didn't have a lot of college production and he wasn't drafted. Um, but I think that what we're really aiming for here is there's value in being part of a committee under Kyle Shanahan. And we saw it earlier in the season with Jeff Wilson, I think scoring 20 plus points on a two touchdown performance with Mostert out. And now we have a situation where we saw last week Mostert get injured and it seemed that Hasty was kind of the preferred clock killer ahead of McKinnon. And I saw Shanahan's quotes on it kind of saying that he had a little bit more juice. They thought he looked good. This is a guy with an above average 40-yard dash time, a very good leaper. He's a good athlete. He's very small, but he's able to pick up those yards for Shanahan. He could see during the bye weeks a workload that's valuable. When a lot of people are struggling to get guys in their lineups, you talked about the Ingram injury, you talked about the Mostert injury, Miles Sanders. There's a lot of injuries at running backs at the running back position. And if you're able to get a guy who you can plug into your lineup, get 10, 12, maybe even a higher ceiling from, those guys are valuable. Um, Jermichael Hasty, one of those guys. Another one of those guys this week is Gus Edwards. So uh, before we get to Edwards, I want to, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about a possible return of Jeff Wilson over Hasty. Do you think from Shanahan's comments that maybe Hasty's going to get what was the Jeff Wilson role? I mean, I assume Wilson will be active, but do you worry about him less now? I think that it's one of those things that we need to pay attention to the injury reports. I, I believe that Jeff Wilson was inactive last week. Correct. And now the question is, how healthy is he heading into this week? So we're all going to have to monitor that. We're not exactly sure. Same is true for Gus Edwards. We don't know at this point in the week on Tuesday morning whether Ingram will play. But I'm not sure that I would want Hasty in my lineup if Wilson is active, because there's a lot of uncertainty. Obviously, Wilson was the preferred back. We don't know if that's the case now as Hasty's a rookie. He's becoming more acclimated. But 
they could cannibalize each other. That yeah. It could be one of those hot hand situations. So if we're seeing that Wilson's not healthy and it's McKinnon and Hasty, then it's a situation that I would feel comfortable putting Hasty into my lineup. Dalton, when it comes to Gus Edwards, are you ready to see him get 15 carries to J.K. Dobbins's six carries and two targets? Or do we are we a little more optimistic this time around? Dude, my heart can't handle that. So um, we, I mean, I, th- I think um, a, a thing is just, I think it's going to start shifting in Dobbins' favor. Um with this Ingram injury, um, they have a bye week this week, which obviously potentially allows Ingram to come back with eight healthy. But it's sometimes like coming out of the bye week, that's when, you know, players get their opportunities as rookies. We saw it uh, last week with DeAndre Swift coming out of the bye week, had a massive game. Now, um, as we're going to touch on later, but now the Dolphins are getting a chance with Tua after the bye. So, like, that's a lot of time where it gives them to regroup, look at their personnel, look at what's going on there. And J.K. Dobbins has just been great. And this is not a knock on Gus Edwards at all because Gus Edwards has actually been pretty good this year. He really, but, he's been um, good his like, whole career is an interesting thing. But Yeah, I, he's I been mean, great as a rusher. But the difference between him and Dobbins is Dobbins gives you that full package. Like if you have Dobbins in, like the, the defense doesn't know whether you're going to run the ball or you're going to throw the ball. But if you have Gus Edwards in, it's very likely you're going to be running the ball. And Dobbins can literally do everything for you. And they drafted him with a high draft capital. So I think it's just, it's a matter of time. And I think this is actually going to open up opportunity for Dobbins there. So I'm like, I'm pretty optimistic in terms of Dobbins actually seeing like usable workload instead of like his five, six touches a game. Now maybe we can see like 10 to 12. Mike, I imagine you trust the Ravens coaching staff over someone like the Lions coaching staff, excuse me, who is even, uh, who they themselves saw that they need to give Swift more work. I, I hope we can trust that Jim Harbaugh and his staff is, uh, like the Ravens staff. We'll see that Dobbins gives them the most dynamic option in the backfield. Do you agree? Yeah, I think that they still are motivated to keep Gus Edwards involved. So I think both will be involved, but I see it as kind of, maybe an old Patriots situation where you have the Shane Vereen in the form of Dobbins and you have Ridley as the Gus Edwards. So I think that they still aren't ready to hand him the keys to the car and give him over 70% of the touches. But I also don't think that that's necessary for Dobbins to have fantasy value. I think the question for him has always been volume. And I think that having half or 55, 60% of the touches are enough for somebody like Dobbins to explode. So I think if Ingram is out, he's definitely somebody that you want in your lineup as a running back to or flex. So so let's assume that Ingram is out. Um, are you prioritizing Hasty or Edwards? I imagine you're prioritizing Edwards by a significant margin, no? Yeah, if we're assuming that Ingram's out, it's kind of that same situation with Jeff Wilson where we're waiting and we don't know. And it's kind of it's hard to know. We got to monitor the injuries. We have to see what's going on. And then we make a decision off of it. And Ingram's status and Jeff Wilson's status really matter when it comes to that question. So at this point in the week, it's very difficult to know the answer. So the third running back we're going to talk about, I'd actually have the most upside out of them. That's Boston Scott. Miles Sanders, you know, from the reports I read, they're much more worried about uh, Zach Ertz, who has a high ankle sprain than Miles Sanders. However, you know, a lot of people, including us, liked Boston Scott before the year as a guy who we actually thought he'd have more of a role when Miles Sanders was healthy. But last year, we saw, and we've written a couple articles about this, um, that he was like really good in those last four games without Miles Sanders um, or with major involvement. Uh, do you see Boston Scott, if Miles Sanders is out, as the priority ad this week? And how do you project 
his volume and production. I think he's definitely the priority. It's nice to know, as we talked about with the injuries, it's nice to know that Miles Andrews is very likely to be out and you're getting a guy who's the starter, but they, we would like to see Boston Scott be more explosive than he is and get to the point where it's hard for them to take him off the field for Corey Clement. And up to this point this season, he just hasn't done that. The first start that he got with Miles Sanders out in week one, he didn't perform all that well. I believe he came out of the game with cramps or something. And it's just kind of continued to be that he just looks like a guy. And if he's just a guy, do you want to blow a serious portion of your fab on him and at this point with him being the number one waiver guy and the expectations being that Miles Sanders isn't seriously injured I think he'll probably be overbid on but it depends what you need if you need a running back to start this week obviously Boston Scott's probably the best guy on the waiver wire but whether he's worth spending a significant part of your budget on really comes down to how long Miles Sanders will be out you know it's 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 actually tough to project the Eagles because they've been through a rough schedule, you know, start with Washington's underrated defense, then the Rams and then Pittsburgh and now then Baltimore last week, but they faced the Giants this week. My, my biggest worry was that they have so many offensive line injuries that, you know, we pay attention to a team like the Cowboys and their injuries, but the Eagles have been just as bad on the offensive line. And do they trust Corey Clement more as a pass protector? I mean, that's something we need to pay attention to. Luckily the Giants pass, pass rush is one of the worst in the league, so maybe that gives us some hope for Boston Scott. Um, but um, I think part of the issue is the expectation was Boston Scott's a good receiver. Miles Sanders, obviously as a rookie, was an unbelievable receiver for a rookie running back. And this year, they just have not been able to connect consistently. Uh, Miles Sanders hasn't been the above average receiver that we'd like to see, whether it's due to Carson Wentz or Miles Sanders. Even though there's a lack of wide receivers there, they haven't been able to incorporate him in the past hey, game. Hey, hey, hey. And the team has been true Two words, Travis Fulgham. Keep going. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Travis Fulgham has been great, but they haven't been able to consistently throw to their running backs, and that hurts the fantasy value that we were expecting no to see with both of these guys. Um, the assumption being that they're above average receivers. So, Dalton, you're on the spot here. How are you ranking it? Hasty, Scott, Edwards, who are you prioritizing as of this moment, Tuesday morning, afternoon? I'm definitely going Scott because he's he seemed to be the clear back um, for the Eagles with Miles Sanders out. Um, he saw 49% of the snaps last week while Corey Clement only saw 10%, so he looks to be the main guy. And even in week one, we saw him get 56% of the snaps before he went down with injury. So um, he's definitely a guy that I'm going to get because I think you can plug and play him this week. Um, I'm actually going to go Jamalco Hasty over Gus Edwards. For me, it's just, it's just more of an upside play, um, knowing that it's likely Raheem Moster goes to IR. We don't know what's up with Tevin Coleman. The fact that they gave Jamalco Hasty the ball over Jared McKinnon at the end of the game, um, that's intriguing enough for me. Like there's unknown with a lot of these rookies. So when we have like rookies come in and we don't know what the role is going to be, especially in a Kyle Shannon offense, like I want that sort of unknown upside that potentially could be there because we know that if a running back can take a hold of this job or get significant work within this backfield, like that's a very valuable commodity. My issue with Gus Edwards is him and J.K. Dobbins split snaps um, when Mark Ingram went out. And he doesn't catch the ball. Um, you're really hoping for a touchdown for him to bail you out. And it doesn't seem like he's going to get more than, you know, 
you know, 15, I think he probably maxes out at like 15 to 18 carries, which I don't even know if that's going to happen, even with J.K. Dobbins there. So, like, I don't know where the upside is with Gus Edwards to wherever we'll feel comfortable starting him. And I don't like picking up guys where I just don't feel the need to ever start them and will feel gross starting them. And I feel like Hasty at least has that sort of, like, um, sizable upside on your bench to where, like, you can see how his role plays out and he can maybe have more value in the future as a pass catcher than a guy like Gus Edwards I guess at the end of the day, we just don't want to feel gross. Mikey, do you agree with uh, Mike? Do you agree with that order, or do you uh, do you have something different in mind? Um, I totally understand it, and I'm fine with it. I I see them as kind of in the same tier. I think the issue is the week before we were talking about how much Shanahan liked McKinnon, and maybe it's a situation where if they're up, it's a good situation for hasty clock killing, and if they're down. It's a good situation for McKinnon catching passes. And Edwards, I think, is going to be involved. I mean, we've seen the Ravens down, and they run him the ball. So he could get clock-killing carries. He could get goal-line carries. So I think both of them kind of fit in the same area where maybe they're a bit game-script-dependent. Maybe they don't have the highest upside because they're sharing touches. But the hope is that during a bye week, you have some sort of floor with them getting touches in their respective backfields. So why don't uh, why don't we move on to some other uh, wide receivers who might be available on the free agent wire? First, a guy we've talked about before, Tim Patrick. I mean, he made some awesome catches while it looked like he was playing through a bit of an arm injury. Now we have Hamler maybe coming back, Fantas coming back, Judy's yet to explode. But I mean, how can we ignore a guy who had what a six for one eleven or something against the Patriots, who have been one of the best secondaries in football? Um, where do you see him fitting into this uh, this week's waiver class? I think the issue is there's not a lot of wide receivers to target. Maybe you were able to get Claypool or Fulgham last week. This week, I mean, Keelan Cole, we kind of think we know what he is at this point, finishing most of the games at under 50 yards, and then he has two breakout performance kind of sprinkled in. And then Tim Patrick wasn't healthy to start the year, obviously, Sutton was in front of him, Judy, they wanted to play Hamler over him, and he's kind of proven himself back-to-back weeks, finishing with above 100 yards. So I think the argument is there's not a lot of wide receivers. If you need one, maybe Tim Patrick's available, maybe Keelan Cole's available. If not, you're taking shots in the dark with guys like Alshon Jeffrey, uh, Darnell Mooney, James Washington, guys that we can't expect much of a workload or consistent targets from. And and that's kind of the issue with Keelan Cole. I mean, this is a guy that's come back to life. I remember, Mike, you remember a couple years ago in uh, some of our $1,000 leagues when Marquise Brown, Marquise Brown, Marquise Lee got hurt, we saw him go in like the fifth round because he was really good the year before, disappointed that year. Last year, he was an afterthought with DJ Chark. And now, you know, he's kind of like a zombie. But uh, the big problem is, you know, if you're a LaVisca Chenault believer, you're a DJ Chark believer, and you're a Keelan Cole believer. You're asking Gardner Minshew to support three fantasy wide receivers, right? Not many great quarterbacks can do that. So, uh, and, and I get that they're going to be passing a lot. They, they're they usually down. But it, it, it's just impossible to project when Keelan Cole is going to go off. So, uh, to be frank, I don't see this week's waiver class as uh, having huge upside, but We've been plenty wrong in the past on that, and it's important to pay attention to that every week. Dalton, do you have any opinions on the Keelan Cole, how he fits in with your boy LaVisca Chenault? 
Yeah, I mean, like, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure I necessarily um, agree with the stance that Gardner can't support all these guys. If we look at expected points, Gardner Minshew's fifth so far through six games in expected points. And uh, these guys are getting enough targets on a week-to-week basis. I mean, we're talking about, like, seven targets a game for guys like Hugh and Cole, LaVisca Chenault, and um, Chark, when he's in there, he's, he's getting a little bit north of that. So it's like, their offense, their passing offense is really centered around these three guys. So as long as there's not guys like Tyler Eifert or Colin Johnson um, getting involved, like I don't see why these guys can't be like wide receiver two, wide receiver threes. And it may just be like a, a thing on a week to week basis where we can't necessarily predict it. But I think like they're going to have their weeks here and there and the targets we want to be chasing in an offense in which they seem to be passing a ball a lot. So I want to be chasing that actually. You know, Chark had two a, things. Yeah, I, sorry. I, I was think gonna... that the Jags, the Jags are consistently behind. They're not a very good team, and they're not able to run the ball very well. So they're going to continue to have a lot of expected points, and there are going to be opportunities for these guys. And the other thing that I wanted to note is Keelan Cole does fit the mold of a late breakout. He's an undrafted player. He did perform well as a rookie, and then kind of had some hiccups, but. Those guys who break out late in their career are typically those undrafted type players. And maybe Keelan Cole is going to be one of those guys. I mean, through through so far into the season, he already has three receiving touchdowns and 362 yards. So he has performed and been efficient. And I do think that there's an opportunity for him here, especially if there's an injury to one of those other guys. Maybe he's force fed the ball and then he's really a guy who can be an every week wide receiver three. He's a he's he's what we expected Marquise Brown to be. A few breakout games and a few duds. Do you do you think this wide group of wide receivers is it DJ and the Charks or do you think it's more even and it's any given week these guys could pop? I thought that one was for Dalton, but I will take it. Um I think Chark is still the best. I think that a lot of these offenses come to having one guy who when he's in single coverage, you give him the ball. And I think even though Chark didn't really perform last week, he obviously had that high target total. Oh, huge and I think, yards, huge targets, yeah. Yeah, objectively, he's the best player here. Um, what he did in year two, his size, his athleticism, his draft position, I think there's still a lot to be excited about with Chark. And if we were talking on this pod, what, two weeks ago, when the Jaguars won against Cincinnati, uh, we would be so excited about Shark. So I think there's some recency bias with him not fulfilling his target total, but he's still by far the best guy on this offense at this point in time. Um, Dalton, do you agree with uh, with it's Shark and then the rest, or do you think it's closer and it's any given week for these guys? Um, I, I do think there's there's truth in both of those statements. I do think that Shark is the guy that we should prefer and is more likely to have those more consistent weeks. But um, as we've seen in the past with, you know, week four, week five, LaVisca having a good week last week with Keelan Cole having a big week. And then it was like week two, week three with Chark going off. Like, I think that's what we're going to see probably o- over the course of the year. But I think Chark is going to consistently have those better games. And then we're going to throw in games of Chenault having a big game and then Keelan Cole having it. But I do think Chark is definitely the preferred option here. Mike, we're still waiting on that Chenault big game. I don't, I don't know about you, but... Uh... But we, we, we do like Chenault. Why don't it's we... It's coming, guys. It's coming. <laughs> Speaking of Chenault, some rookie... I, I don't remember. And my, again, this could be recency bias. A year where rookie wide receivers were this good. We've talked about it before. But, you know, 
usually when we talk about rookie wide receivers, we're thinking, you know, this is just part of their 55 catches for 800 yards and seven touch, six, seven touchdowns in a really efficient rookie campaign. And we're targeting these guys heavily next year. I think it's past time to start talking about the Claypools and Jeffersons as league winners and guys who you, who need to be in your starting lineup every week over guys we thought were studs. Uh, Dalton uh, Claypool is is he a wide receiver one in Pittsburgh? Is it? Can we say that? Um, I'm not sure if I'm willing to say that just yet, but there definitely are signs that could be pointing towards that happening. Um, we saw the snap shares be roughly equal between Chase Claypool, James Washington and Juju Smith-Schuster last week. And with Deontay Johnson coming back, that's when I'm going to be able to make my assumption about him being a wide receiver one. If Deontay Johnson comes back and Chase Claypool is still getting the same snaps and he's still being um, up there with James Washington and Juju Smith-Schuster, then I'll go ahead and make that claim. But I do want to see what's happened because it has been the last two weeks in which Claypool is really starting to break out, and that's been without Deontay Johnson. So that's kind of my main thing that I'm waiting to see on. But are you hesitant about Claypool because he he didn't check every single analytics box that we like to see on a guy, you know, maybe a la DJ Moore, who had a good week this week. Um, does that worry you? Do you think Claypool it can be consistent without having checking all those analytic boxes? Yeah, I mean, I think that's just probably the toughest thing for me in terms of deciding when to go all in on a player. For me, like, I've seen enough from Claypool to be like, wow, this is a very good player. But again, like, there is a little bit of hesitancy there because, again, this is a small sample size in which he's been absolutely phenomenal and he looks to be 100% legit. But at the same time, we do have the sample of him in college not necessarily being the greatest prospects coming out. So I guess like my question, it's more of a question than it is an answer about like you guys, like at what point do we look at these guys profile that necessarily weren't good? Maybe like a Terry McLaurin last year, whose profile wasn't the greatest and he starts to play well. At what point do we just say, screw it. And then we just dive into this guy. And what, and should we be doing that with Claypool right now? I think we're getting near that point. Um, I like to see maybe a rookie year of production when I will. I mean, look, we want to include all the pieces for the puzzle that we have. And I think that stuff's all still important for predicting year two production or predicting an entire career when somebody's going to drop off. You look at somebody like Julio Jones, and I think based on what he's done on his career, it makes it a little bit easier and more palatable to draft him, even though he's a little older, regardless of the injuries that he is now dealt with but when we look at somebody like Claypool it's obviously a small sample size but if he's able to look this dominant physically and perform this well as a rookie wide receiver I kind of think that the sky is the limit we'd like to see him do it for a little bit longer um, but his price is obviously going to reflect what he does so this may be like the last opportunity to acquire him while he's palatable because if Deontay Johnson returns and he's still the number one alpha dog. Let's assume this week Deontay Johnson returns. Claypool leads them in snaps, dominates targets, and performs. The buying window is closed. So if you like the guy and you think that he is as good as the guy that we've watched the past few weeks, then don't let Deontay Johnson's return deter you because once Deontay Johnson returns and we see the results from that, you may have lost out on your opportunity. Uh, and with Claypool, you know, we, we talk a lot about like rookie wide receiver production and efficiency when it comes to rookie wide receivers. We're, we're there. 
Like we're not, we don't have, we're not waiting on more production. Like what this guy's shown in what's, you know, not a huge sample size, but I don't think one that's insignificant is the type of thing we're looking for. You know, let's, let's assume that God forbid the season stops today. Next year and rookies and and rookie (laughs) in Claypool's sophomore year, we're targeting him super heavily. So, so I guess my point is, I think I'm with Mike in that. I think we're approaching that time. We've kind of arrived to the time where he's shown the efficiency that we want. And, you know, uh, we know Pittsburgh has a penchant for drafting these wide receivers under their current regime. Going back to Mike Wallace, Antonio Brown, Juju, they've spent first round picks on none of these guys, but all of them. I've had wide receiver one seasons. Deontay Johnson looked really good last year with Mason Rudolph. So I, uh, uh, I'm with Mike. I think we're, I think we're really approaching that time. Here's the question for you: If you have Juju Smith in a redraft league, obviously not Dynasty. Well, I'm, I guess Dynasty too. I'm gonna. Here's what I'm gonna do. Mike's gonna answer the redraft one. Dalton for Dynasty. If you are offered, you have Juju. You're offered Chase Claypool. Do you accept Mike in redraft? Um, I always like selling high and buying low, um, and that is very difficult in this situation. But I do think I assume the answer is no. On, but how close is it? I will answer the question. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, I think that I, I I don't like selling Juju right now. Period. But I don't know if Juju's value is recovering. The way he's being used with his A dot is he's a Randall Cobb or a Cole Beasley. And there's a lot of guys to worry about in this offense. I'm not worried about Claypool getting doubled every play. And if Claypool is getting those targets down the field where he's able to bully some small cornerback and get this high-value target and score a big touchdown, I think Claypool is the more valuable guy in redraft at this point in time. Yeah, I, I definitely understand how you would still want Juju. It, it probably is an overreaction to want Claypool, but but I asked that question to illustrate the point that it's becoming a conversation, whereas a mere month ago, uh, obviously, you even probably two weeks ago, you've been completely laughed off. Um, other rookie wide receivers, T. Higgins, is he the wide receiver one in Cincinnati? Um, Mike, I want to hear your take again on redraft and who you're starting him over, who you'd prefer him over, maybe what tier he's in in Dalton in Dynasty, how high of a riser he is for you. Let's start with Mike and redraft. Yeah, I think that T. Higgins is solidly put himself in the wide receiver three discussion. And I think he's kind of a, a solid wide receiver three every week. I don't see much difference in terms of him and Tyler Boyd on a week-to-week basis. Maybe Boyd gets a few more targets, but I think that T. Higgins is probably getting more valuable targets instead of those slot targets. Maybe he's getting some more red zone or deeper down the field, like that 67-yard catch. And I think everything we've seen from Higgins is really, really promising. And he's set up with Burrow. He's way more explosive than A.J. Green. The team has realized it. He continues to lead them in snaps. So I think despite being a rookie and despite the uncertainty and not being drafted in fantasy leagues before the season, I think he's a rock-solid wide receiver three right now. So, Dalton, just how how high of a riser is T. Higgins in terms of, of dynasty? Where around do you value him near what wide receivers? How good has he been in that through that lens? He's been phenomenal, and his efficiency has been great, and he's getting volume, and um, he's already making an immediate impact six weeks in, 
to his NFL career at 21 years old, which is extremely exciting. So I've moved him all the way up to wide receiver 15 in my rankings in Dynasty, which um, um, some may be a little surprised about. But at the same time, like he's, he's a wide receiver who checked all the boxes. And What, what sort check- of names have you moved him up over? Um, I recently moved him right into the same tier as guys like Kenny Galladay and actually moved him one spot ahead of Kenny Galladay. So like that's kind of the range we're talking about for a T Higgins in dynasty for me. Like, I think that, um, there's a strong argument to have Higgins over Galladay because he's younger. Um, he checked all the boxes of prospect that we're looking for. He's tied to Joe Burrow long-term and, um, we did, I mean, I have my, um, study that I did earlier in the off season about rookies and finding potential super basically locked in superstars based off the rookie year. And T Higgins fits into that profile to which if he gets the volume, which it looks like he's going to get. And if he gets the efficiency, which he's had up to this point so far, he's going to hit that box in which nearly every single wide receiver there has been a wide receiver one at one point in their career. And two thirds of those players on that list were perennial wide receiver ones. So T Higgins looks primed to hit that. And I want to get ahead of the curve on him and rank him in that mark. And if he continues this efficiency throughout the rest of the year, he's actually going to jump into my top 12 dynasty wide receivers. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting because we're, we're trying to skirt this line of overreacting, underreacting, and appropriately reacting. I, I, obviously, we might be biased to our own opinion, but I don't think we're overreacting to Claypool and Higgins and guys like Justin Jefferson you know, you'd rather be too early to the party than than too late, rather be too early and wrong. And, you know, when we're talking about buying at the right price, even selling at the right price with you know, a guy that pops to mind is a guy like Mike Evans, you know, and not necessarily in Dynasty, but uh, a guy who has had a really low percentage of his team's air yards comparatively, even without Godwin, with Godwin, his air yards and target share are really bad. Uh, Mike, are you are you about ready to you know, bench the Jujus and maybe even Mike Evans of the world for these guys in in redraft, like as soon as this week. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very matchup dependent. I wouldn't be rushing to bench Mike Evans. He he is could struggle with targets when Godwin is on the field, and obviously that's concerning. But we don't want to overreact to one week when it comes to Juju. There's several weeks of data to suggest that maybe he's not the player that we expected. I also do think that there'll be some regression to the mean when it comes to uh, Deontay Johnson and Claypool performing and Juju getting more favorable looks from the defense. So I do think Juju will still have his weeks, but it's hard to ignore what a lot of these rookie wide receivers are doing. I mean, when we talk about Justin Jefferson, he is arguably the most efficient wide receiver in the league right now, not out of rookies. He's, I believe, the seventh best wide receiver in Apex Leagues, and you shouldn't be discounting this guy just because he's a rookie. He's getting opportunities on a team that really needs playmakers, and he's outperforming his opportunities to levels that nobody does. I mean, at, at this point with his production, you can only really compare him to like an Odell Beckham rookie season. Um, So we'll see if he's able to maintain it the whole rookie year like Odell was able to, but these guys shouldn't be discounted because they're rookies. It's clear that the only rookie wide receiver class that's even close to comparing with this rookie wide receiver class at this point is the 2014 Odell Beckham, Mike Evans, Sammy Watkins, Devontae Adams rookie class. Yeah. Dalton, you know, when we're talking about historic rookie seasons, is it? 
how offended would you be if I said Justin Jefferson is having a better year than A.J. Brown did last year? Why don't we talk a little about that and A.J. Brown and and uh, how how Justin Jefferson compares and obviously how Brown has done so far this year. I mean, that's not offensive at all. It's just, it's honestly just factual. Um, if we're looking all time at wide receivers through the first six career games, I'm going to just name off some, some names you guys. Number one, Anquan Bolden. Number two, Justin Jefferson. Number Are we talking three, about fantasy Grant, points, targets, we're receiving talking about yards? Re- receiving yards through their first okay. six career games. Okay. Anquan Bolden one, Justin Jefferson two, Randy Moss three, Amari Cooper four, Stefan Diggs five, CeeDee Lamb six, Julio Jones seven, Andre Johnson eight, Odell Beckham nine, AJ Green ten, and this is all since 1985. So every single one of those players was a superstar receiver. Um, Amari looks like he's going to be hit that mark there to be. Uh, hit to be a perennial wide receiver one, which would be multiple wide receiver one seasons. So every single one of those guys has been wide receiver one for multiple seasons in their career. And they're all superstars. Like they're all guys that have been dominating the landscape um, for wide receivers um, during their careers. So we need to be buying this. We need to understand that only the the greatest receivers come onto the field and they immediately just ball out. And that's why we liked AJ Brown so much was because he put up over 1,050 yards on a rookie on 84 targets. Well, Justin Jefferson has put up 537 yards on 36 targets. This guy's averaging 14.9 yards per target right now. That's better than what A.J. Brown did last year. That's more efficient than what he did. And we just need to be absolutely just going all in. We need to be pushing every single one of our chips in and saying, this guy is the real deal. He's the next superstar. Let's buy him now because he's 21 years old and he's balling out in the NFL. Like, like this just doesn't happen. This just doesn't happen. And the fact that we have two guys doing it, Justin Jefferson and CeeDee Lamb, we have to be doing everything we can, be buying them. Redraft, Dynasty, like, they're the real deal. They're the real It makes me wonder now what to think of, like, a guy like Jamar Chase. If Jefferson's doing this, and Jamar Chase probably has a better profile, you know, you must be really excited to have the number one, uh, number one overall pick in Dynasty Leagues this year. That could be the consolation prize. Um, what about, uh, you know, speaking of A.J. Brown, uh, what do you think, uh, are, have you readjusted your expectations for him, uh, from the beginning of the season at all? Um, no, not at all. I mean, I think like my expectation was that he was going to get more volume than what people anticipated in that offense. And he's shown that he's averaging eight targets per game, which is a lot more than I think people were anticipating in a run first offense. And the fact that Ryan Tannehill has proven, um, that last year he had a great stretch where he was the most efficient quarterback, but then he's parlayed that into this year as well to just show like, hey, maybe Ryan Tannehill's not a fluke. And A.J. Brown being a number one receiver and Ryan Tannehill clearly trusts him, um, going to him um, at the end of the game there to tie it up. Um, even when A.J. Brown hasn't had his blow-up games, which I don't think we've even seen a blow-up game from A.J. Brown yet, um, they're still utilizing him in the red zone as a nice target there, and Ryan Tannehill clearly trusts him. So um, I still I still think we're only scratching the surface of what we've seen from A.J. Brown so far. Um, That's so. the most promising development to me about him, as a obviously as a huge Titans fan, um, is that last year it seemed to be really boomer bust with him. You know, he'd break off that 50-yard touchdown and another 30-yard catch, and maybe he'd only have three or four catches. But this year, he doesn't need those big plays to be a real fantasy asset. Why don't we transition to our last segment of the episode? 
and revisit the rookie running backs. We talked a lot about them recently, but especially with backfield committees, it is a week-to-week situation. You know, we talked a little about Dobbins when we were talking about Gus Edwards and how maybe this is his time to shine, but the big breakout of this week was DeAndre Swift. I mean, Mike, with even with a coaching staff as stubborn as uh, Matt Patricia's, is is he here to stay now? Yeah, I mean, he should be. The problem is his snaps weren't that high. He just dominated with the touches he received, and he received more touches than he has in any week of the season. Um, I think it's fairly obvious that he's the best running back in that backfield, and it was only a matter of time until the Lions started playing him more. Can we now expect him to be a workhorse, I think we're still a little bit away from that, especially in weeks that the Lions are going to be up. The hope for Swift is whenever they're down, even though I believe Swift is a better pure rusher than Adrian Peterson for even when they're up, the coaching staff may not agree with that, but it's clear the coaching staff agrees that when they're down, the best player on the field for them at running back is Swift. And as long as this team remains bad, there should be more incentive to play them on early downs when they're up after this performance, but you're certainly going to get those touches and those targets when he when the Lions are behind. So hopefully this gives owners the confidence to start him a little bit more regularly. And I think as the season goes on, Swift is only going to become better. And the nice thing was they were winning most of the game last week and Swift still got a good, maybe not, uh, no pun intended, the lion's share of the carries, but he was still heavily involved, which I think is a really, really nice development for him. And on the other end of the spectrum, Dalton uh, might have to eat some crow here. Cam Akers? Mm-hmm. Whoa. Uh, the Cam Akers versus Swift thing. We have you on record uh, as having an opinion about that. Has your opinion changed at all? Um, I, I mean, after seeing Cam Akers get one snap, I mean, I think it, I think it has to change. Um, because Swift just balled out, and we thought that Akers coming back, he would see opportunity considering he looked like potentially he looked awesome the game before with nine rushes for 61 yards and that incredible long run, and then they didn't utilize him at all, which obviously is a major concern um, for his production, especially with Daryl Henderson continuing to ball out. So, yeah, my stance has definitely changed. I'll take the L for now that Swift is definitely the better option, but I do still believe in Akers long-term. Um, for the rest of the season, I just think it just honestly may take a little longer than I thought it would have been this week coming through. Speaking of Henderson, we were having this discussion a little bit earlier in the day. Uh, you know, we've seen this before from Daryl Henderson this year. He gets 20 carries, over 100 yards, and a touchdown versus a really good Bills team. We think this backfield is settled. Next week, eight carries. Here comes Malcolm Brown again. This week, he gets the majority of the touches, 14 carries for 88 yards, even when they were down. Are we going to, is this something that, oh, we shouldn't fall for Dale Henderson being the lead back again, or on the other side of the spectrum, uh, as uh, Mike might point out that maybe they realize their mistake. Mike, are, are do you think that this is a more permanent Daryl Henderson backfield now? I do. Um, I watch the game. I'm not much of a film guy. I guess we can do it with with yards per carry with uh, number one, Henderson getting 14 out of the 16 running back carries. And then also that he ran for 6.3 yards per carry with those attempts. But Henderson looked incredible. 
he was, I mean, when they're down, I believe 21-7, they were relying on Henderson to carry the ball and give them an opportunity. Or was it 21-9? It may have been 21-9. Either way, they're relying on him when Cup and Woods are on the team. And obviously those are two of their main guys, but they realized that their best opportunity to have a chance in the game was to run Henderson. And Henderson really rewarded them with big gain after big gain, taking them to the goal line. He got hit at the one or two yard line, was a little banged up. They threw on their last two attempts of that drive incomplete and ended up losing the game. But I think Sean McVay, I can hopefully assume rational coaching with. And I think in that game, there was kind of a concern that in these situations where they're behind, Malcolm Brown is probably the better pass protector, at least in Sean McVay's eyes, and probably a better receiver in Sean McVay's eyes. And to see them rely on Daryl Henderson in that situation, I think is a big development. And I think it says a lot about what he thinks of those backs. And I also think that it's hard to not have Daryl Henderson on the field going forward because he he really just looked so good on an offense that needed players who were able to produce. And and this is a big problem if you uh, are a Cam Akers believer. I'm not saying for Dynasty, but in redraft, right? Is that if you think Cam Akers is breaking out, you have to hope for another week four situation when for no explicit reason, Sean McVay took the keys away from Dale Henderson and gave him Malcolm Brown. You have to hope that's going to happen again with Akers. That, at this point, seems like a random, even possibly, not, not random, I'm sure it is reasons, but not something you can count on to happen again. Because, uh, like you said, I, I McVeigh seems like one of the smartest coaches in the league and maybe in our lifetime. And so, if Henderson's the better runner, Malcolm Brown is the best pass protector, where exactly does Cam Akers fit in? And I think that's really, really concerning in that uh, Henderson is really taking control of this backfield on the ground. And they are, I think, still the most run-heavy team in neutral situations. I haven't looked at the exact stats, but they can't be far off if they're not number one. And I, I just don't know. What do you do with Cam Akers? Is he, you can't cut him, I assume, in redraft, but you certainly can't start him. You bench him. Do you try and, uh, do you try and move him? And the question is, for what? You know, I think it's a a bit of a conundrum. I think that, firstly, I want to go off your last point where we talked about these rookie running backs that Dalton's referring to a few weeks ago, and we ranked them. And I believe I ranked them Swift, Dobbins, and then Akers. And mainly I did that because of the talent that is in those respective backfields. I think that you'd have to be foolish to not think that Swift is the best Lions running back. And then... I I honestly think the same is true with the Ravens, where we have Dobbins, who's this dynamic player. I think Ingram is a bit washed up, and I think maybe Gus Edwards is an above-average rusher. He's not quite the receiver, and I think it's only a matter of time until Dobbins is the leader in that backfield. And with Akers, I, I do believe he's a dynamic talent and a very good player, and I do think that he'll be involved. And I think so. It will be more at the expense of Malcolm Brown, where... Henderson, we were saying the same things about last season where he is a special talent and arguably one of the most efficient running backs in college football history, where I think he ran for something like 8.9 yards per carry on 200. 
Yeah, and 200 touches in back-to-back seasons. And now seeing Henderson lead this backfield and run for 4.8 yards per carry and look so dynamic, I don't know that it should be such a surprise. And that is my main concern is out of these rookie running backs that are all very talented, Akers is dealing with the most talented competition. And I don't think that Daryl Henderson is going anywhere. So I do expect Akers to gain more work as the year goes on, but I would expect it to be at the expense of Malcolm Brown. Yeah. I, and, and another thing about DeAndre Swift that I wanted to mention is that I believe, uh, Mike, it was you who broke this to me. Uh, I forget where you heard it, but that Patricia was coaching for his job. And if you're Matt Patricia, is the front office, like, like can you really go to the front office and and present them with 15 Adrian Peterson carries a game when you just saw DeAndre Swift do this. You're coaching for your job. The front office is like, we drafted this guy for you in the second round. He just went off for four, for 150 yards or something and two touchdowns, and you're giving the ball to Peterson and you're coaching for your job. So, so I do think that uh, I have more hope than I did previously that DeAndre Swift is going to slowly, if not almost from now on, get the most of the touches or at least over 50% of the touches in that backfield. Before we go, Mike, rest of the season, Daryl Henderson or DeAndre Swift? I'm going with Swift just because I, I, I think Akers is good. And I think that there's desire to use uh, Henderson and maybe like a mix and roll is kind of how I see it before the past game involvement started trending up over the past few weeks. So I think Daryl Henderson is going to be a 200 plus carry guy when averaged out every 16 games. And I think being on the Rams offense alone may result in 10 touchdowns for him. So I do think that role comes with a lot of upside, but I don't see him topping 30 to 40 targets over the course of the season with Swift. If the Lions wise up, which I think is a huge assumption that maybe we shouldn't make. And maybe it's more likely that Henderson leads the two in fantasy points. But I think that if we're looking for that running back one upside, with pass game involvement, with rush game involvement, I think that Swift is that guy. I don't know if we're going to see it this season, but I think if one of them is seeing 80, 70 to 80% of the touches in their respective backfields, I think it's more likely that it's Swift. That's a that's a good point. And that, that's one thing we didn't mention is that Swift was already getting significant receiving work. And if you add rushing into that, look out, Dalton, rest of the year, Henderson or Swift. It has to be Swift. Um, I think we saw Swift's breakout. I think that them coming off the bye week, them giving Swift the touches that he saw, and still they gave Adrian Peterson 15 carries. They gave DeAndre Swift 14 carries. Peterson had 40 yards rushing. DeAndre Swift 116 yards. I think at some point like they realized that you know they gave Swift 12 carries up into that point in the season, then they gave him 14 in one game. Like he had more carries in that game than he had the entire season before. So I think like they understand that this is the time to shine. Still saw four targets, which is the floor there, and that's the main thing for me is like if we're getting similar rushing, you know, um, attempts between Henderson and Swift, like give me the guy who's getting you know locked in four to five targets a game, and as he and has upside to grow in that role, whereas I think as McVay still wants to use some sort of committee, and if Akers starts to emerge later in the season, like that could um, that could keep it from really Henderson um, getting a massive amount of workload that I think we can actually see Swift hit later this year. Uh, you know, as an upside guy, I got to agree. I think we're three for three on Swift, although obviously Henderson can't be discounted. Before we go, let's just reflect for one second. Here we are, week seven of a COVID-laden season. 
three months ago, we're saying don't, it might be best to avoid rookies altogether. And now here we are talking about DeAndre Swift, talking about Chase Claypool, talking about Justin Jefferson, talking about T Higgins as maybe this is one of the best rookie classes in recent memory. I, I, I just think it's awesome. Like I, I have no analytics about that. I think it's awesome that we're seeing in, in a, what is the worst situation in recent memory for rookies, maybe ever. Here we are seeing awesome, awesome young players come into the league and still making a difference. So uh, I just, uh, I think that's worth mentioning and worth admiring. Any last thoughts for our listeners, guys? Yeah, I think that that's another one of those things that we should use data to make our decisions. And we didn't have any data supporting the thesis that rookie players weren't going to be able to succeed because of a lack of practice time and blah, blah, blah. Uh, we, we never really had proof of it. It was a thought that they're more familiar with the offense, blah, blah, blah. It, it doesn't matter. I, I think that the thought with this rookie class is it's so talented. There's so many guys. It's so deep. They're all, there's so many guys that are so good. And I think that initial thought should have been what owners were going with because if they're so talented, their coaches aren't going to be able to keep them off the field. And that ends up being the result despite the impact of COVID. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in 2011, when we had that lockout, we saw, you know, Cam coming out of Auburn. Oh, you know, he is a raw passer, more of a run first guy, didn't have any offseason with the Panthers. Here, there he was as a league winner for fantasy and as the runaway rookie of the year for the NFL. Um, That is all we have for you this week. Please make sure to tune in next week. Give us a review. Give us a rating. Give us some feedback on Twitter or through email. Thank you very much for listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. 